Hello, my beautiful birds. Happy Friday and welcome to the episode of today. So today's episode is all about the difference between drive and self-control and why you need to have both. I'm going to be breaking the two apart. What is self-control? What does it look like when you have high levels of self-control? What is drive and what does drive look like? And what does it look like when you have both versus one? And then What does it look like when you have neither of the two? And what you can do if you're only strong in one or the other, how to be more aware of your life situation and what you need more of, how to kind of figure out which one you're good at and which one is harder for you. And then due to that, how to tap into resources to get better at doing the other thing. So that is what this episode is going to be about. Hopefully by the end of the episode, you're feeling a lot more empowered around how you can access your drive and your self-control. And it's all about a balanced life. I, I bang on about balance all the time, as you guys know, but it's all about striking a nice and healthy balance with both things. You don't have to be getting a 100% strike rate. You you never do. I personally am probably at like a 60-70% strike rate with what I do. But because it's consistent, I I'm, I feel like I'm doing quite well in everything that I do and I'm just chipping away at things. I always have moments where I'm not feeling driven and I always have moments where I'm not where I do not have self-control. But because consistently there's enough of both, it gets me to a place where I'm really satisfied in my life and I'm not really critical with myself. I'm not like you could have done more. No, because I understand that everything's balanced and with no balance that you're not having fun or socializing or doing the other things that you want to be doing. So I'm talking about striking that nice balance, still having fun, still doing the things that you want to be doing, but also getting to a point where you're like, I'm really satisfied with my progress. You know, it doesn't have to be hundred percent because it's, it's now I'm at a good place where, you know, everything's kind of like rolling around at quite a nice pace for myself. So that is the episode of today. I'm pumped. I'm feeling good. We've got a brain fact and then we've got a listener question at the end about like an affair and cheating and I get so emotionally invested in this listener episode. Oh, anyway, let's get straight into it. It's going to be intense today. Okay, so the brain fact of today is all about why change. This one's a very short and sweet one, but I thought it was interesting because I've been actually applying this to my everyday for the last probably two weeks. I'll take you through a bit of a rundown on what I've been doing with my daily routine because it changes from day to day. But the brain fact is basically around why changing your location to work or study is actually quite helpful for you and why you actually get a whole lot more done. So I'm not sure if I've ever mentioned this in the podcast before, but it's this idea of changing from location to location every time you need to do a task that requires either memory or focus. Um, So this could be in a creative task. So if you're a writer, if you're trying to brainstorm something, if you're trying to just snowball ideas. So this could work for a very creative endeavor. This could work for anything work related, depending on the industry you're in. But there's a lot of industries that would require you to brainstorm or, or have creativity. But then it also really works with studying for something. It helps you retain information. It helps you pay attention and be more on the ball when you're doing a task. Now, this is compared to you studying in the same location, let's take home as the the primary example, or in a mundane, boring office. If you were always in these locations doing that same task repeatedly again and again and again with not much else changing, then that's what this is being compared to. If you then were to take yourself out of that environment and to change up that environment on a regular basis, you would find that your productivity would likely 
skyrocket and you would retain information a whole lot more. So this actually comes down to the fact that when you are in an environment where it's too familiar, it's very easy to get distracted um, for many reasons because, well, you're, in a, you're very comfortable, you're in a place of comfort. You've also got things around you that is likely something that you can access quite easily. You could be getting up, you know, going to the kitchen, the bathroom, this, that, you know, roaming around, coming back. There might be certain things in that environment that also distract you. Maybe if you work in an office space and people – Uh, coming up and talking to you or they're asking you questions or, you know. So when you're in these places that even if they're quiet, they're actually, for a lot of people, again, this does ultimately come down to the individual, but for most people, it has been found that this ends up being quite detrimental. Even if you think, oh, I'm in a really quiet place, there's nothing that's distracting me, you know, but the fact that you're just in this boring, same old repetitive environment is kind of like dulls down your senses a little bit. When you are out, now the thing to remember is when you are out, you want to be in a place where there's stuff going on around you, you know, so this could be a library, it could be working from a cafe, it could be sitting. So one thing I personally like to do, if you guys are from Sydney or if you've ever visited Sydney and you know the Queen Victoria building, which is above Town Hall Station, it's this fucking awesome building with like it's really old and there's all these like cool stores and there's this big grand piano and people sometimes play the piano. I like to go to the top floor there and there's some like big benches there. And I, on occasion, will just go and take my laptop and we'll just do a bit of creative writing there, whether it be podcast planning or just throwing ideas down for a book that I'm writing or whatever it is. And I find that that level of external stimulation is really cool. So it could be something like that, just sitting in a place where there's movement. Um, A cafe is really good because there's, you know, this like hustle and bustle around you, but there's nothing specifically that's pulling your attention. So it's kind of that fine balance of being somewhere that's new. There's stuff going on around you, like other people just being there, but not enough that it's a full on distraction. So The flip side of that would be if you're a huge football fan and you go to a pub to do some work and there's your favourite footy team on TV, that's not conducive to you being focused because you're constantly getting drawn to this game that's on TV or just in general if if it's way too loud or if people are sitting right next to you screaming and laughing that's probably not going to help. But it's this, it's just enough of your environment has changed that without you being aware of it, you are now more alert. Okay. So this change of environment causes you to be a little bit more on high alert. You're more peaked, you know, something could happen and you're like, I'm aware that that happened. You're not kind of like too relaxed and too dulled down. So when you have this kind of like peak in, um, in attention, you can then apply that alertness to the task that you're doing. And that's kind of the, the science or the, or the theory behind why it is that changing your location regularly when you're trying to do creative or focus-based tasks or memory-based tasks is really beneficial because you are on high alert, you're trying to do this task and you're more likely to get a whole lot done because – that alertness gets funneled into the task that you're doing. It becomes easier to, you know, remember something, to read something. You could, you know, comprehend something a lot better. And then if you're doing a creative task, you might notice that you're in a much, much, much better flow state and things are flying, you know, out of your fingertips as you're typing as fast as you can keep up because it's just all coming to you, getting all these great ideas. And then the moment you come home and sit down, it's just not as good. So it's it's that fine balance of, 
being in an environment that's stimulating enough that you're now going to feel alert. Whether you re- you shouldn't be anxious or stressed, it shouldn't be unpleasant at all, but it's just this subtle change in alertness and that alertness it is is what's helping you funnel that focus into the work that you are doing. Making making sure of course that you're not in an environment that's way too stimulating and distracting. Distracting being the key word. So I personally find sitting at a cafe um, or even at the Queen Victoria building like I mentioned um, really, really good. I also like going to a massive public library where it's not not dead silent, but there's movement around me, you know, where there's like someone sitting down, opening their, their books and then getting up and someone else is leaving. So there's just enough movement around me. There's a really good atmosphere. Another thing to also keep in mind is that good lighting um, will also aid in that. So if you're in a well-lit place, that's really going to help as well. Um, but Taking away lighting altogether, just the fact that you're in a different environment is just absolutely key to help you stay focused. So if you're someone that's always studying at home and you're like, fuck, how do I retain this information? How do I stay on task? How do I do it? Go out and see if that makes a difference. Start with a library or start with a cafe. Start with going outdoors if if you can find a, an appropriate place where you can comfortably sit outdoors and do the work that you need to do. But you will find absolutely that it will change. It will feel very different. And what I put, so now bring it back to what I like to do. I will go and sit in a cafe or and like whatever I mentioned, QVB, all of that. And I will set a time, a timer. I've mentioned a million times that I love to do time blocking, but I would do around when, and okay. So if I'm at home and I'm struggling to really stay focused for a prolonged period of time, I'll normally do 40 minutes on, 20 minutes off. When I'm at a cafe, I notice that I could do 45, 50 minutes on and the time flies and I get so much done and then just 15 to 10 minutes off where I can, you know, look something up, respond to some friends that have messaged me, whatever, fuck around. Um, And I'll do maybe two of those cycles, maybe three if it's not a busy cafe and I'm not taking up a table or, you know, if, if I'm if my posture is comfortable enough and I can stay there for that amount of time and if I'm feeling really focused, I might do three rounds of that. But what I've found lately is that I used to do this all the time when I studied and then for the last kind of year, two years, I've kind of done it intermittently but not not um, religiously enough. And what I started doing in the last literally just two weeks from today is that I have gone – so in my morning, I've got my morning routine. I wake up between 5 and 5.30. I'll do my whole like, you know, get dressed, wash my face, all of that. Then I get back sitting on my bed and I'll do a 15 to 20 minute meditation. From there, I'll go and exercise for 30 minutes, no matter what, no matter. And and this exercise that I do for 30 minutes, starting from 6 a.m. to 6.30, 6.40-ish, 30 to 40 minutes, I will do, I have to do something that moves my body. So if I'm really sore and tired, I'm just doing a really good stretch. If I'm really in the zone, I'm doing heavy weights or cardio, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. But that's just sticking to that routine of like getting out of the home into the gym by 6am. I I use the gym in my building. And then come back, shower, do all that shit, you know, might socialize with someone, might get a coffee, whatever. But then I come into the office and this is where my energy actually starts to drop. So if I need to record things, film things, I try and smash all of that and get it out of the way, hopefully around the, by 2 p.m. Because then this is what I've started doing and I absolutely love it. I go home, get changed and I head into the city. I'm fortunate enough that I live quite close to the city and I, I want to live quite close to the city. So it works really well for me but I head right into the city and I pick a cafe and I will sit there for two rounds like two you know 
for around two hours, sometimes an hour and a half, smash out all the creative side of what I do, podcast planning, book writing, you know, content creation basically and I'm like throwing things down, researching brain facts, doing all that fun stuff. Sometimes I can be there for a lot longer and then for the fun bit I top it off with a sauna. So I actually go to a sauna in the city. It's actually part of a gym. So saunas can be quite expensive for a lot of people but I pay 26 bucks a week and this is the gym in the city it's a fitness first and there's a sauna there. And so I've literally used that sauna. I try and go most days, at least most weekdays. I try and I aim to go five times a week if possible. And that to me is the best way to wrap up the day. So that's what I've been doing. And I found that those afternoons, I have gotten so much more done than I normally would. So if you're someone that's studying at uni or really trying to get into a routine with your creativity task, whether you, you're, you're a writer or you want to be a writer, whatever it is, definitely give that a go and see if you notice a difference. Okay, cool beans. Let's get straight into the topic of today's episode. Okay, so let's get right into the topic of today's episode, which is all about the difference between drive and self-control and why you need both. So let's first talk about self-control and self-regulation and the difference between the two. So drive is your willingness to do something. It's not motivation when you're drawn to do something and you're on a roll in the zone and it's no effort, but it's this effort. It's where you have grit, where you have staying power to get something done, where you see something through, where you're willing to work through something, through the highs and the lows, to honor a promise to yourself, a commitment, you're going to get this thing done. That's drive. Self-control is more about restraint and not giving in to something. And in many cases, it requires less action or less activity, doing less of something or having or getting less of something, okay? Now, there are people who have both and they're the obvious ones. They're the people that get shit done. They're likely very successful, probably all-rounders with everything that they do. Someone who comes to mind for me personally is my sister. I think she's got a great great amount of drive and self-control. She's very disciplined but also goes after a lot of things in her life and she kind of never takes a back seat, which is awesome. Then there's people who have not much of either, and this is pretty common, to not have much of either. And let's see if you can see yourself in this one because I think a lot of people have found ourselves in this. And it can change, mind you. You can change yourself to become one, the other, or both, okay? But let's see if you find yourself in this one. So these are the people that normally take action in a more reactive sense. So they'll normally take action when they have no option but to take action. Um, They always talk about making a change or what it is that they really want in their life, and they're big on talking about it, and they've got ideas, but they don't use the things that are currently accessible to them within reach to make it happen. I'm not talking about people that actually don't have the resources to make something happen. I'm talking about people that could actually be doing something but still just don't have that oomph to to start. They will often repeat wanting the same thing for months or even years and not even realize that that much time has gone past. Change will only happen when there's really little risk or or like not that much crazy hard work involved um, or whether it's a natural progression. So say you're doing quite well in your job and you naturally progress to the next stage and you naturally progress uh, or when they've been forced into change so they inevitably have to evolve because you can't not evolve when you're forced into change. Uh, it's like a struggle 
to find the get up and go and procrastination is kind of like a daily thing. Um, and if this is you, you might find that you also have little self-control and you're always getting caught up in these short-term wins or distractions. And before you know it, a year has gone by and those goals that you wanted to implement didn't really stick or they never even started in the first place. Not much has changed out of the list that you wanted to change. This is super, super common. And I would say maybe most, if not a lot of people find themselves in this category. And most people who do find themselves in this category want it to be different. And if this is you, then fucking listen on to the rest of the episode because we're going to be tackling it. So what I really wanted to talk about is the importance of working on having both things in your life. It's, I think it's super important to strike a balance between the two and they don't even have to be at 100%. Fuck, if you can get it to 100%, my hat goes off to you, more power to you, but you don't even need to. So drive will get you to where you want to be. It's the action side of things. It's going out into the world. It's grabbing what you want and sticking it out. It's I'm going to fucking do that thing, going and doing that thing, and then sticking it out and just staying in it as long as it's serving you because you also have to know when to quit, but that's a whole nother podcast. So I'm saying like you're starting that business. You're going ahead. You're making it happen. You're taking those risks. You're taking the necessary steps. Um, or I'm going to start doing this one thing every single day and I'm going to get up and fucking see it through every day. That's drive. Self-control, you're now able to resist temptation. It's reeling it in. It's being able to delay gratification. It's not cutting all the fun out of your life, but it's about knowing when and where to have those fun moments in your life. And delayed gratification is a huge one. It's knowing when to stop. It's knowing when to slow down. It's knowing when to quit or it's knowing how to have some of something, but not all of it. You know, knowing when to call it a night, knowing when to say no to that drink and when it's cool to say yes to that drink. All the above, that's self-control, you know. It's when something's uncomfortable being like, no, this is the time that I have to do it. It's not procrastinating. It's doing that annoying, boring thing that might not be difficult, but doing it now instead of doing the thing you want to do right now. And what did it what it takes to achieve these big goals is a mix of the two. So you need drive to actually work on the goals. Just overriding your, you know, like your impulses for, you know, short-term gratification is not enough. You need that drive to go and take the risk. But chasing the goal is not enough if you don't stop these short-term impulses that get in the way and stop you from then having yourself be consistent in the chasing or in the pursuit of that goal. So you're going to keep yo-yoing back and forth if you only have one of those things. If you're someone with all the drive in the world but no self-control, then you may hit many, many roadblocks because you're struggling to find balance in your life and you end up burning the candle at both ends. You're someone who works hard and plays fucking hard and then you crash and burn because you can't say no, you can't resist temptation when it's there, you just take it all but then there's no balance and you're exhausted and then likely the goals that you are trying to achieve suffer as a result of that, you know? So it all crumbles and then you start again and then it crumbles again and then you start again because you do have that drive but you're not able to sustain it. If you're someone with only self-control, then you can be very measured and have your life completely structured and under control but you might find it really difficult to launch anything, you know? 
Needing too much control over your circumstances could lead you to overanalyze everything. You struggle to pull the trigger on things and you may end up being somewhere, someone who always talks about your dreams instead of actioning these goals and dreams as well. And five years down the line, you're still all talk and no action, but with great restraint. So you've probably got a lot of organized things in your life. There's probably a lot that is going for you. You're probably quite healthy, quite organized, quite structured, but you're not actioning these things that you really want to action. So the aim here for today's episode is to find a way to strike a balance on a weekly or if possible, a daily level. Now, I want you to have a think and ask yourself, where do you sit on that scale? Do you favor one thing more than the other? Are you someone that just lacks both things? Are you really good at one? Normally, you're going to be better at one than the other, normally. But you know, just see where you are. You might find that you've tried to start something several times, but you always fall behind. Um, you find that you have no problem doing that thing. You might even enjoy doing what you're trying to embark on, like dedicated time to a tasks or working out or like cooking your meals or sitting down to study, but you find that you're all over the place. And before you know it, it's, you know, five days have gone past and you've not worked on anything that you wanted to work on or you enjoy waking up early, you enjoy having a morning routine and when you're on, you're on, but you can't say no to a drink and you drink most nights and then that lack of self-control makes it hard for you to action the things that you have drive for the next day. So that scenario, you probably have low self-control and you're more driven, but it's just a bit of a shit show because you don't have the self-control to help you follow through with the drive. And lack of self-control will always impact your drive. No matter how driven you are, if you don't have any self-control, it is going to have consequences on that negatively impact your levels of drive. It's not possible otherwise. I know so many people that when they're fucking on, they're on, and it's unbelievable watching them you know, work on what it is that they're working on or, or be in that zone. But the self-control is such an issue that they're constantly slipping back and starting again and starting again and starting again because they've got no self-control. The good news is that, like I said, you don't have to be the most disciplined person in the world to make the most of this. You want to be hitting around a 70% rate on both those things. And what does 70% look like? Because it's pretty hard to measure. Well, it, it, so I can't measure it, but it's basically in between doing something all the time and doing something half the time. So you've got to be more than doing it half the time, more than 50% of the time, at least you've got to be doing that thing, but it doesn't have to be a hundred percent hit rate. So never dipping below half the time, 50% of the time, never. So I personally think that to be expecting perfection might be a bit of a waste of your time because you can actually make quite a bit of headway even when you're not hitting 100% perfection and you could be on a really good thing. But if you're thinking, I've got to hit 100%, then you're going to be really hard on yourself and you're going to find that this journey is a lot harder than it actually is. So I don't think aiming for 100% is even necessary. In some cases, it might be detrimental because you end up being too hard on yourself. And you end up not having fun with the, pro with the process when it actually should be a pretty fun process. And if you're not already doing it, then 100% is probably going to feel unachievable anyway. So that's not a goal that you want to be having, just 70%. Now, if you're someone who's all drive and you find that you don't ever hit the mark on things or it never seems to happen for you, or it's all stop and start, then you don't need to work on your drive. You need to work on your self-control. And I would suggest, I would imagine that most people lack self-control overdrive. And the reason why they struggle with their drive is because their self-control or lack thereof is what gets in the way. But 
kind of figure it out for yourself. The first thing you've got to do is identify where you lack and where you excel in if, but you normally have one strong and one weak. But see if there's one that you find easier, like one that gives you less heebie-jeebies when you think about it. So for me, I'm personally more driven than I am with self-control, but I am definitely improving on my self-control for sure. But drive is, comes easier to me. Number two, of the one that you lack, what daily part of this thing do you notice daily? And you have to name it to tame it. So list a bunch of behaviors where your lack of this thing negatively affects your day. If it's your lack of drive, it could be the fact that you're always saying you're going to do something and it gets to the end of the day and you didn't do that thing. And that's fucking annoying. Name it. What is that thing? If it's lack of self-control, it's I said I was going to eat at home and yet again, I've gone and spent my money on eating out because I a, couldn't be bothered doing, you know, cooking the thing or I just was too tempted with, what I, with this flavor from this fucking place that I love eating at. Like, what is it? You have to write it down and be aware of it. Name the thing or the things, plural. Number three, do you place any of this responsibility on anyone else? So who do you normally blame for this thing not happening, whether it be self-control or whether it be drive? Is it a person, people, a group of friends, your job, alcohol? Who are you blaming or what are you blaming? And how much of that is an excuse? Like, is it an excuse or is it a proper reason as to why something didn't happen? Is it really out of your control and is it due to this external factor or this external person or not? Or if you controlled an external parameter, would it make it easier? So what I mean by that, for example, if you tweaked what you did on certain nights and reshuffled when you did the things, would it help? Like, for example… If you're someone who's like, every time it gets to nighttime, I really want to cook my dinner, but I end up getting tempted and then I just, it just doesn't happen for me. Okay, so what are the things I could do that, like if, if, the, if the meal was already cooked for you, would you be more likely to eat it? A lot of people, yes, that's why they prep. If maybe you're not cooking the meal, but maybe you're buying something that's cheaper and a lot healthier and it's in the fridge and you know you like it. If that was in the fridge, would you be less likely to go and spend twice as much money? Out. Like you can start yes or no, you know, and then you've got to look at like drinking alcohol. If you're someone that drinks alcohol every night and you've got no restraint, if I just didn't go out at all, would that stop me from drinking alcohol? For most people, yes. Um, what if I, instead of going out, said, why don't you guys come over? You know, there's all, all these parameters that you can put in place to see if it helps with your self-control. You don't have to eliminate everything altogether because you probably will cave. But ask yourself, are there things, can I control things within those external parameters that will make it more likely for me to achieve this thing? Yes or no? If the answer is yes, write a bunch of possibilities that you could tweak. If I'm always blaming my partner as to why I don't go to the gym in the morning because I ask them to wake me up and they end up sleeping through their alarm, whose fault is that? It's your fault, right? You need to say to your partner the next morning, you know what, love you so much, but you are no longer my accountability buddy. I'm done. I end up resenting you when it's not even your responsibility, even though you agreed to do it, but it's really my shit that I need to take care of. So 
I'm done having you as my accountability buddy. I am not waking you up in the morning. You are not responsible to wake me up in the morning. We're doing our separate things. Love you so much. I'll see you in the morning whenever the fuck you wake up. And then you bring the power back to you. But if you keep saying, you didn't wake me up. And then the next night you say, okay, promise that you wake me up. Like you're setting yourself up for failure. This is ridiculous. And people do it all the time. It's ridiculous. So none of that put the power back in your hands. There's a whole bunch of things that you could be doing and tweaking. Like who am I blaming and is it legitimate to be blaming this person or can I take the power back? Number four, look at the order that you do things, the order in which you do things. So often we fuck the order of how we do things and then we say, oh, I can't do it. But you can. It's all about tweaking the order in a lot of cases. So for me personally – I will always, within reason, get my morning routine done, fucking done and dusted, okay? If you listened to my whole brain fact just before, you would know all about my morning routine. Now, to me, when I started implementing my morning routine, and I've been tweaking it to the point where only just like a couple of months ago, it's been getting really good. Like this, I've got it down to a fine art and I am loving myself sick because of my morning routine. I've been tweaking it for the last few years, but now I'm really in the zone with this morning routine. The more I talk about it in the podcast, the more I want to be better at it. So I know that for me personally, every time I would wait to exercise in the afternoon, there's just too many variables at play that might influence me to not go ahead with my plan. And I know that about myself. I just know that about myself. Do I like being spontaneous? Yes, I do. Tick that box. Do I like being social? Yes, I do. Tick that box. Do I have a lot of friends that live near me that also like being social? Tick that fucking box. Do I have a fiance who loves being social? Tick. So, Given that I love being social and that I love doing things spontaneously, as does my partner, as do all my friends to all live really closely, what are the chances that something's going to come up tonight? At least 50%. And what are the chances that I'm going to say yes? At least 50% because I like it, right? So knowing what I know about myself and what my preferences are, I have to fucking exercise in the morning. There's no question about it. That's it. It's done. I've uninvited myself from the luxury of letting myself exercise in the afternoon. And mind you, for me, exercise is a non-negotiable. It's not about I've got to have the hottest rig. No, 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 no. For your brain health, you should be exercising every single day, even if it's five minutes. I don't care. You need intense blood flow to the brain every day to stave off degeneration. But that's a whole nother podcast about that. But anyway, it's a non-negotiable. And I know where my weaknesses are. So instead of being like, lol, and making an excuse for it again and again until I'm 55 years old or 80, I now think, no, Alexis, you don't have a choice anymore because I know what you're like. I I love you so much, love myself so much, but I know what I'm like. So instead of punishing myself and feeling annoyed, I change the order. I think, all right, the things that are non-negotiable, you now have to do it in the morning whether you like it or not because it's it's 50% chance it's not going to happen in the evening. Look at the order in which you do things and maybe just shuffle it around. Where can you fit things in that absolutely have to happen and fit those, things th- fit those things in the times where you know you can be more consistent? For me, it's my mornings. You might be an absolute homebody that loves your evenings and you do it in the evening. I don't know your timetable. Every individual is different. You have to tailor this for yourself. But if you're not self-aware and if you're not able to be like, all right, I'm always leaving things for a time that never happens, then something's got to give. It's either going to be your goals 
or it's going to be your timetable. Hopefully it's your timetable and that's what's going to give and you have to change things in order to see success for yourself, okay? And that's where you start to implement a lot better self-control and also drive. Number five, when you find something difficult, ask yourself, is this a self-control thing or is this a drive thing? And ask yourself this regularly. Like if you have to sit down to do a one-hour task, let's say it's writing, let's say it's something for work, it's uni, you're studying. Is this something that you avoid doing and why? Because once you sit down, do you actually enjoy the studying? And you're like, oh, why the fuck don't I do this more often? Then that's a self-control thing, okay? Because it's that self-control to be like, I need to not do the things that, that I want to do right now and I need to sit down and study. But if once you're studying, you're like, this is fucking easy, I could do this forever, that's, that's probably a self-control issue. Now, if you're someone that has no problem setting a timetable and waking up early and, you know, doing all the things back to back, but when it comes to doing, you know, going, rocking up to the gym, you're like, oh, maybe not. A, that's probably a drive thing because to actually physically get yourself there and follow through with all the exercises and get it done, that's more a drive thing. So ask yourself, self-control or drive? Am I struggling with self-control or am I struggling with drive? You're going to find out very, very quickly where you're lacking and where you need to be putting more focus and more energy into when it comes to structuring your timetable and when it comes to um, ordering the things and how they need to be ordered in the day. And the last thing is that you need number six is that you need to understand that the later in the day that it gets, it becomes harder and harder and harder to administer restraint and self-control. So if you have a self-control thing, then you need to set yourself up at the start of the day so you are helping yourself out for the things you want to do at the end of the day. How organized are you? Have you organized things for your afternoon or your evening or the things that you want to do? How, you know, you've got to use those tools of self-restraint and organization in the a.m. to serve you better in the p.m. Once that quota of self-control and restraint is done, it is fucking done. For me, I can look at chocolate in the morning and be like, I'm not interested. Get me in the afternoon when I'm hungry. I'll eat the whole fucking chocolate bar, okay? So I understand that if that's the case, I've got to make sure that I'm quite full so I'm not eating all the sugar in front of me and then I don't because I understand that in the afternoon I have no, well, little to no restraint compared to my morning self. So how do I prepare for that? I make sure that I'm really satisfied with, you know, what I've eaten throughout the day. So I'm eating good shit. There's a whole bunch of other things that you can be doing, but that's the most important thing to remember out of everything is be aware that for everyone, well, most people, not just you, that, 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 um, the amount of restraint starts to diminish and diminish and diminish and diminish. So knowing that, what are you going to schedule for the start of the day or how do you set yourself up for success at the start of the day so you can follow through at the end of the day or by the time the end of the day rolls around, it doesn't matter what you do because you've already set yourself up in the morning. You've already done those non-negotiables earlier. So if you need to kind of have fun or crack or socialize, it's okay because you've already hit the things that you wanted to be hitting earlier in the day. So remember, it's a combination of both that you want, drive and self-control and always be paying attention with which ones you're leaning into what you're giving your energy to and where you're lacking. Self-awareness is king with all of this. All right, that is all for today's episode. Time for the listener question. 
Hi, Alexis. I love, love, love you and your podcast. I've gained so much from listening, especially in the last six months as my marriage has crumbled. I know you've done episodes on breakups and heartache before, as well as self-worth, but I was wondering if you could specifically address being cheated on. I think I might have addressed this in some episode, but let's press on. For context, I'm married with two young kids. My husband and I separated at the start of the year. Recently, we reconciled and then he cheated on me, sleeping with someone and Snapchatting heaps of girls. I'm sorry, but there's so much wrong with that sentence. Like, Snapchat can fuck off. But anyway, let's continue. The pain I feel is next level. And intellectually, I know it has nothing to do with me, but I can't help the underlying feeling of not being good enough, especially having birthed his two kids and having a mum bod while the girls he was messing with are young and kid free. How do I take the power back in this situation? It's so hard having kids because I can't just cut him out of my life. And then seeing him and having to take Having to talk keeps the feeling alive. I want to thrive and live my best life and move on. But right now it feels like I'm the one left with so much baggage and heaviness from this situation. Okay, this, oh my God, there's so much, so much to talk about here. Babe, can I just say, a man who engages with women over Snapchat to cheat is not a man for starters. Like a child, okay, and not someone that you want to be associated with on a romantic level. Like this is a huge self-love lesson that you need to take for yourself. There's a lot going on that you've said in this letter that shows to me that right now you are struggling with your relationship with yourself. When you start doing the adequate work on yourself and building yourself up to the person you know you are capable of being, you'll be able to turn around and say, on what planet, on what fucking planet, on, in what universe was I allowing someone who cheated on me the way they cheated on me to control my life so much and make me so sad, the trash has taken itself out. Now, he may be a great father, fantastic. He's not trash as far as a father, but as a, as a husband, garbage, okay? The only way you can take power back in this situation is by making your focus you. There's no shift in power. All you have to do is not give your power away to him. And you are doing that by feeling like he's got the upper hand. I still have feelings for him. I still, you need to be way more ruthless with how you view this person and this person's actions. You need to get yourself to a point where what he's done turns you off. And you need to figure out what is it that I love about people and what is it that I don't love about people. And when you feel low about yourself, you will put people on a pedestal and you have put this man on a pedestal. He does not deserve to be on that pedestal. Actually, Nobody deserves to be on a pedestal as far as when you compare yourself to somebody else. Nobody. And you've put someone who's treated you very, very poorly and you are the mother of his children on top of all of that where you should be gaining so much respect and you're getting the opposite of that. He's treated you extremely poorly and then you still put him on that pedestal. What does that say? It says, I don't love myself enough and I'm not treating myself with enough respect. You are respecting him way more than you are respecting yourself. So the main concern here above everything else is what you're going to do now with your relationship with yourself because right now you're fixating on the fact you're comparing yourself to these girls that he's been talking to on Snapchat, okay? No, absolutely not. This needs to stop. 
You need to turn things around and think about what you love about yourself and what you have to offer. Not to him, to you, to your children, to your friends, to the people around you. Because you have a lot to offer, but you're not thinking about that. There's a lot going for you. There always is a lot going for people, but a lot of it is extremely untapped because you're sitting here focusing on the people that don't deserve your time and energy. And absolutely you can't cut him out of your life because you have kids. But that I know that kids can feel like it is everything in your life, especially if they're young, but you are not put on this earth to be a martyr, not for your children, not for anyone. You have to still live for yourself. And when you have children... More so you have to live for yourself because it helps you and it actually helps them. I don't believe anyone, no matter the circumstance in your life, should be put on this earth to live for somebody else, okay? So your priority right now is your relationship with yourself. Above everything, that is your priority because when you take care of that, every relationship, including the ones with your children, with every relationship gets better. Okay, so that is your number one priority. Now, you mentioned here saying that you can't help this underlying feeling of not feeling good enough. So you're wanting to be good enough by his standards. That's what you're wanting. But there's a big chance that as far as what he's got to offer versus who you are and what you have to offer, that it's the other way around, okay? You're looking at it as I'm not good enough for him. But you need to get to a point where if he came crawling back, you would say, I'm sorry, but what you have to offer is not good enough for me. It's not good enough. I deserve better than some clown who's Snapchatting people. Like, what am I looking at here? You deserve better than that shit. It's not the other way around. You've got it skewed and you are fucking with yourself right now. Stop letting yourself down. Look at this situation for what it is. If your friend went through that, you'd be like, bitch, what the fuck? Okay? Not good enough. He, his actions, how he was as a husband, not up to par. And you're the one that should be flicking him off to the curb, not the other way around. Okay, so every day that you wake up, you've got to remind yourself of five things that is a turn off. The fact that he's so fucking emotionally immature, that's a turn off. The fact that he treated you the way he treated you when you, you know, are the mother of his children and irrelevant, even if you weren't. The fact that he treated you the way he treated you, that's not fucking good enough. I'm sure you could easily come up with another bunch of things that annoys you about that person. And that's how you start your day. Like, uh, cut out those thoughts with rose-colored glasses and stomp them out with like, didn't like this, that was a turn off, gross, you're a child, immature, be a man. And then think of traits of what, how an actual grown man would treat their partner and the mother of their children. What would that look like? It would look like respect. It would look like someone who's like, you are my woman. You are my fucking, we're a unit, we're a team. Not this shit that this guy's doing. Don't degrade yourself to feel like you're not good enough. My blood is boiling reading this. Boiling, okay? You should see me. My arms are waving around. I'm sitting on this couch. I wish you were right in front of me so I could say this to your face. It's the other way around. You need to shift it as quickly as possible. Your language towards yourself needs to change. You can be in a place where in a matter of months, maybe sooner, maybe a little bit longer, hopefully sooner, you can be looking at this letter and being like, wow, that was a different me. That was a different me back then. 
okay? I want you to find something where you feel like you've got a lot of purpose and I want you to work on that thing every single day. Go and listen to all my episodes around purpose because that's where it's really going to help you. I've got one on self-esteem and purpose that got released maybe like in the last 10 episodes possibly. Listen to that on repeat and that is genuinely going to help you feel better about this entire situation. But please talk to yourself differently about this. Turn that narrative around and remind yourself of all the shitty things that he's done so you don't feel like you need him in your life romantically. You'll be able to have him in your life no problem because you'll be like, lol, you're a turn off. Probably a great dad. I don't know. Maybe, hopefully. But the thought of entertaining him romantically again make, will make you laugh. Laugh, okay? Because you've got to compare him versus what a real partner, what a real husband of substance would be like. Compare the two and then he's going to look like fucking a pittance compared to the riches of someone who would treat you with respect. It's that or it's nothing because you've got to set the standard for how you treat yourself. And once that standard is set, anyone who treats you below that is a joke. It's laughable and you're like, lol, no, thank you very much. No, thank you. All right. Hopefully that helped. Hopefully that's G'd you up to feel a bit more empowered about this situation and do something about it. I don't ever want you to feel the way that you're feeling when you wrote that letter. That was so fucked and I feel awful for you, but never again. Okay, onwards and upwards from here. Onwards and upwards. Guys, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Thank you for the listener questions. And as always, be kind to yourself, be kind to your brain. Don't take shit from anyone and especially don't take shit from yourself. Danke.